0: Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in St. Matthew's Gospel, reading there in the 12th chapter, beginning at the first verse. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn, and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did, when he was hungered, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. This is a beautiful day, isn't it? And I hope that all of us are really glad that we're alive, And I hope that all of us are thankful to God that we do have the privilege at this time to worship our God. You heard me mention that today is the 18th Sunday after Trinity. We are slowly coming to the end of another church year. And the gospel that I just read, this text, it tells about an incident that took place up in the province of Galilee outside of the city of Capernaum in the early year of Christ's Galilean ministry. And this is what happened. It was on a Sabbath day, a rest day, and Jesus and the disciples were going through a grain field. Now the disciples were hungry, and so as they went through the grain field, they picked up uh, some of the heads of the grain in the field, rubbed them in their hands, and they ate them. It also so happens that there were some Pharisees who saw that. These were the holier-than-thou individuals in Jesus' day, and they were taken aghast, and they were very much agitated to see this. We must understand what it was that troubled them when they went to Jesus and complained. It was not that the disciples had stolen some grain. Uh, God had arranged that any hungry man could go into a field and could fill himself with food, And that was perfectly all right as long as he didn't take any food with him. So this was not the thing for which they had complained. But it was the fact that in going ahead and taking the heads of the grain and in rubbing it in their hands and in eating, they had worked on the Rest day, and the Pharisees said they have violated the rest day, and so they went to Jesus and they said, Don't you realize that your men are doing something which is unlawful on this day? And then Jesus had somewhat to say to them, and in connection with what he said, he makes a tremendous statement about himself. He told them that day in that green field, He said, But the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. I want you to know, He told them that day, that I I am the Lord, I am the Master, I am the Ruler, even of the Sabbath day, the rest day. I am the Lord of that day too. You know, I wonder how many of us have ever stopped to realize what an amazing statement this is from the lips of Jesus. And we ought to look at it this morning. He says to you and me, speaking from the Word of God, as he stands there again in that green field, right outside of Capernaum, Jesus assures you and me, that he is no less, mind you, than the Lord of the Sabbath day. He is no less than the Master, the ruler of the rest day. A magnificent Lord, a tremendous Lord, worth knowing and worth having and worth keeping. And you and I this morning, we may say, well, it kind of leaves me cold, the fact that he says that he is Lord even of the Sabbath day, of the rest day. We may say to ourselves, I don't see that that's anything to be so wonderful. What does that fact prove about him? Does that make him any dearer to me? Uh, What joy does that give me particularly? What happiness or what blessing does that add to me in view of the fact that you say he made such a tremendous statement that he was the Lord, the master of the ruler of the rest day of the sabbath day and let's look at that very statement and Jesus in assuring you and me that he is the Lord no less of the sabbath day would also assure me that that brings you and me joy that brings you and me happiness and that brings you and me blessing that is absolutely second to none it is incomparable it couldn't be any greater the joy that ought to be yours and mine because he stood in a Greenfield one day, and he, the stranger of Galilee, said that he was no less uh, than the Lord of the Sabbath. And you and I may say, what joy is mine, what happiness comes to me, what blessing comes to me, because Jesus claimed one day that he was no less than the Lord of the rest day. And as on the basis of the Word of God, you and I look at that, Jesus would assure us that he is no less than the Lord of the Sabbath and therefore he is magnificent, he is worth having, and he is worth keeping because... The joy that comes as second to none, for in the first place he assures you and me of this, that being the Lord of the Sabbath day, being the master of the rest day, he is no less than the Lord of creation. He is no less than the one who created the universe as you and I see it. You may say, wait a minute, preacher. Do you mean to say that Jesus of Nazareth was the Lord of creation, that he is the one who brought into existence this universe, the heavens and the earth? That's exactly what I mean because that's exactly what the word of God says. Listen, the God that originated the rest day is exactly and identically the same God who created the universe. In the Word of God, we know that our God is one God and yet three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And in the Word of God, there are times when creation is attributed to the Father. There are times when it is attributed to the Son, as John, in the prologue of his gospel calling Jesus, the Word says that without him was not anything made that was made. And in Genesis, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as also participating in creation. Therefore, because... He is the Lord of the rest day. He originated the rest day. It came from him, and he who originated it was no less than the creator of this universe. When we go back to Genesis, we read that matchless account in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus, the Son of God from eternity, God the Son... He also is credited with the creation of the world. And we are told, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered on the face of the waters. And then God, God the Son, this lowly Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnate Son of God from eternity, said, Let there be light, and there was light, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And then this Jesus, this God the Son said, that let there be a firmament to divide the waters above from the waters beneath expanse and there was this expanse, and he called again that which was above the heavens, and you and I say we look out into the expanse of the heavens, and we talk about infinity, and scientists tell us it is endless in distance, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Then we are told that he said, let the waters gather in one place, and let the dry ground come forth, and he called the waters the seas and the dry ground land, and let there come seed, Bearing herbs and all manner of fruits and all manner of shrubs. There was food on the earth, and the evening and the morning were the third day. It was Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal God, the Son, who created this universe. And then he said, Let again the sun light the earth by day and the moon by night. And he put the stars in their places in the eternal constellations that we see in the heavens. And as we look up into the galaxy to know that every sun that you and I can see with our eye, which is the star, it's greater than the sun that lights this earth and has its own solar system. It was this Jesus standing in a grain field who, because he was the originator of the Sabbath day, was also the creator, the Lord of this universe. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And then he put live birds in the air and fowl in the air and fishes in the sea, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And then when the sixth day came, He was the one who created animals on the earth. And then he said, Let us make man in our own image. And God incarnate, who didn't have a body, he fashioned a body like he wanted this creature to look. And then he breathed into the nose holes the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And man was made in the image of God. We are a soul, and we have a body. And that soul has imagination, and that soul has memory made in the very image of God we again his highest visible creation he made man in his own image and then the evening and the morning were the sixth day then we read and then God rested on the seventh day and God blessed it and hallowed it and God sanctified it When Jesus stood in that green field up there near Capernaum that day and said, I am no less than the Lord of the rest day, bear in mind he was giving you and me the assurance that he's worth having and he's worth holding on to because he in originating that rest day was also the same God that brought into existence this universe. And you say, well, what joy comes to me The philosopher turns and he asks himself questions that he can't answer. He asks himself, why this universe? Why man on this planet earth? And all he can do is philosophize and guess. But when you turn to the word of God and you and I say, why did God create this universe? Why did God make a being called man in his own image? He made this universe for you and for me. That's God's answer, it was that you and I should have dominion over it. This universe stands as an expression of God the Son's love for you and me. And bear in mind, even before sin came into the world, He performed the first marriage ceremony of Adam and Eve. The one thing we have left from the perfection of creation is marriage. And therefore we say, what did God plan had sin never come into the world? God planned that again there would be children born that there would be no sin in this world, that again, this world made for man, that man could love God and God could love man, and that there would be this bliss and heaven too, that there would be no death, but some kind of a translation, some kind of a rapture whereby man Created in the image of God, this was God's plan, that man should be raptured into eternal heaven even greater than the creation that he made for you and me, his most precious possession. When he stood in the green field near Capernaum, let me tell you it was an amazing statement when he said, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, the joy that comes. This is what God planned, God the Son. And therefore we ought to say to ourselves in this world, even though sin has come into it, well, say he's not only worth knowing and having, but he's worth holding on to. And I'm going to hold on to him, the Lord of the Sabbath, because he's no less than the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. And therefore we ought to say to ourselves, because I'm going to hold on to him, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him even though sin came into this world. He still controls this universe which he created. And because he did, there's no reason for you and me to be afraid. We look out on this world today and we say, It's black. It looks terrible. We say look at 90 miles off of our shore here there's evidence that the Russians are putting in submarine bases and we say what's that going to mean for our country and then we go over to Vietnam and we say our boys and sons and daughters engaging in war and bloodshed over there and then we go to the Middle East and we say look what's happening over there here you have the Jewish nation and the Jewish nation saying to the Arabs God gave us Palestine when he gave this land to Abraham and yet the Arabs pain to the Jew but you lost it and it became ours and you've got to get out and we'll drive you into the Mediterranean Sea and when you have these irresistible forces coming you and I say what's going to happen and then our president going to Rome today and if again you saw yesterday where the communists rose up and in their marches against him and be smirching our flag and we say how dangerous and we say what's happening in this world but listen Through it all, down in the wheat field, right out of Capernaum, the stranger of Galilee said, I am the Lord no less of the Sabbath. I originated the rest day, therefore I created the world. He still rules. Do you ever get out your catechism sometime and you get wondering and you get filled with worry and you say what is coming? When I was in Worms, Germany, and in the Lutheran church there, on the walls of the church in Worms, they have the matchless explanations of Luther's uh, three articles of the Christian creed on the walls in large emblazoned letters. You know, you ought to get out your catechism sometime. And I stood there in the church in Worms. And of course, they're all in German. Each one starts, Ich glaube. What does this mean to the first article? How many of us have gotten out our catechism and said to ourselves, uh, this... Christ, who again controls the world because he absolutely created it, that we can say, I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul and eyes and ears and all my members, my reason and all my senses and still preserves them. Also clothing and shoes, meat and drink, house and home, wife and children, field and cattle and all my goods, that he daily and richly provides me with all that I need to support this body and life, that he defends me against all danger, guards and protects me from all evil and all this curly out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me for all which it is my duty to thank and praise, to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Can you have that peace of mind that you and I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow because... Up in Galilee, outside of Capernaum, Jesus stood in a green field one day and said, I am the Lord, no less of the Sabbath, of the rest day. I am the creator and the sustainer of the world. Nothing to be afraid of. And we say to ourselves, what a tremendous statement. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I am the Lord, I am the Master, I am the Ruler, even of the rest day, and therefore that means joy that's second to none. That means blessings that come to you and me because of that fact that couldn't be any greater because in the second place he reminds you and me that as again the very Lord of the Sabbath, he is no less than the Lord of our salvation. You say, because he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's the Lord of our salvation. Oh, yes. Why so? Because he was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. You may say, why did God set aside this rest day? Why did God rejoice in it? When you go to Mount Sinai in Arabia, when Moses had the children of Israel there, and they stayed there, you recall, about a year, and there God gave the Ten Commandments, and remember the one he said, remember the Sabbath day, remember the rest day to keep it holding. You may say, what did God mean? there it was to be kept holy this rest day what was the purpose of it there at sinai god said i'm setting aside the tribe of levi it shall again it shall take care of the tabernacle that you're going to build and i am setting aside the family of Aaron. he shall be the first high priest and therefore god at sinai said this is the way i want you to worship me you are to slay bulls and goats and lambs there is to be shedding of blood. And God arranged that on each day there would be a lamb that would be slaughtered and sacrificed, and on the rest day there would be two lambs that would be slaughtered and sacrificed. And you and I say, what did it mean? Did the blood of bulls and of goats ever take away sin? And you and I know that it couldn't possibly do so. But whenever a lamb was slain, this was, as Paul says in Colossians, this was a shadow of Christ, the reality who was to come every lamb that was slaughtered every time blood was put on the mercy seat, it pointed to god's lamb it pointed to jesus who was going to come into the world and who would be the fulfillment so as they sacrificed their lambs and especially on the sabbath and look forward to the lamb of god in his shed blood There would be forgiveness and therefore he is the Lord of salvation because he was the fulfillment of the very purpose, the very aim, the very inner heart of the Sabbath, the rest that there would be a convocation and there would be again the sacrifice of lamb. Jesus is its fulfillment, and therefore, think of this joy that comes to us because he was the Lord of the Sabbath day, having completed it as our Savior, that he is the one that offers the forgiveness of sins to us, deliverance from eternal death, everlasting salvation, the resurrection of our body, and an eternity in heaven. It was the restoration of paradise that was lost. When he came into the world, what a Christ! When sin spoiled this creation of his, and this tremendous plan, therefore he came as the fulfillment of that rest day, as the Lamb of God, that in his shed blood all should be restored, even our bodies raised from the dead. Paradise regained, a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because he was the Lord of the saints I challenge you, you name me any greater joy, any greater happiness, any greater blessing that can come than that which comes in the fact that Jesus is the Lord of the rest day. He is therefore the Lord of our salvation. He has provided everything, restored everything in God's original plan in the redemptive work because he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and therefore that ought to mean this what he's worth holding on to and i'm not going to lose him in spite of the way things look in the world and we ought to be so grateful that again he went through all the trouble that he did in order to come into the world think of the again to create a world for us knowing that it was going to fall into sin to go ahead and establish a rest day, and to establish a way of worship, that lambs should be slaughtered and goats pointing to him, and that he should end up on the cross, that he, God, should die in your stead and mine, that he should bear the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. When we say, that kind of a Lord, who is the Lord of the rest day, he's worth having, and I'm going to hold on to him. And then again, there comes this joy. That we say to ourselves, he must love you and me regardless of the adversities that come. We sometimes say, do we not? And we cry out in agony, oh God, why did it all come to us? What have I done? Why this adversity? Why this trouble? But oh, when you and I can look at him and say, but one day this stranger of Galilee, he stood in a green field and he said that he was the Lord even of the rest day. He again was the Lord of salvation. He loves me. He loves me dearly. There is no one that he loves more in spite of my adversities because he has provided full and complete redemption for me paradise regained lost by sin and I challenge you you name me a greater blessing and a greater joy than that he stood in a grain field. You know, we were liable to pass this symbol for he was Lord of the Sabbath day, Lord of the rest day. And we, we fail to see just what that means. What a tremendous Lord. What a tremendous Master because he reminds you and me this, that it also means that as the Lord of the, again, of this rest day, the Lord of the Sabbath, he would assure you and me that he's no less than the Lord of the New Testament Sunday the first day of the week. You say, what happened that day when he was going through this green field with the twelve and they had gone ahead? Well, you see, they were going ahead and they were actually shucking grain. And this was supposed to be labor, but they were hungry. This was the thing. Jesus turned to the Pharisees and he said, Well, he said, don't you remember what David did? He said, when David was fleeing from his son Absalom and he had soldiers with him and he came to the tabernacle and they were hungry and the only food that was there were the showbread loaves on the altar and God had said that that bread should be only for the priests. But he said, remember, the priest gave this bread to David and his men, they ate it. And David was their patron saint and the Pharisees would never again accuse David of having done something wrong. But Jesus was showing these men were hungry. Yes, but after all, the bread intended for the priest normally, but here was a case of mercy. And then Jesus said, haven't you read in the law uh, that the priests in the temple, they work on the rest day. They've got to get the lambs ready for slaughter, and yet uh, they are not called guilty. Uh, You say they are guiltless, they're innocent. How about those? And Jesus was trying to say, here is one greater than the temple. And he was saying, if you just understood what God said, he quoted Hosea, that God said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, that you would understand. What was Jesus saying? He's trying to explain the original purpose of the rest day. That God had forbidden work but it was supposed to be a blessed thing. God had not said you can't do any kind of work even at the expense of mercy. God said mercy is always right. You can always show me. He said Jesus at one time said if you've got an ox or an ass falling into a pit well you'll pull him out on the Sabbath. In other words he's saying God never forbade any acts of mercy and kindness if a child is lying with a horrible fever on the rest day in the Old Testament and once a drink of water, does the mother have to say, I'm sorry, I can't go out and get you a drink of water. That's work, you gotta to wait till tomorrow. God says, I want mercy. I want mercy, always all right. Yeah, again, you don't forego mercy at the expense of sacrifice or rest. Jesus was trying to show them that these men were hungry, and therefore God never forbade all work deeds of mercy always... But you say, what happened to this Sabbath? It's rather amazing. Paul in Colossians tells us this, that Christ, again, he abrogated it. Christ annulled it. Christ abolished it. Why? This bothers some people. In Colossians 2.16, we're told, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the new moon or of the holy days or of the Sabbath day. Uh, Paul says, you are free as regards the Sabbath. There is no command in the New Testament to rest on the Sabbath. There is no command that we've got to worship on Saturday. There is no command in the New Testament that we have to continue to offer up bulls, lambs, and goats on the rest day. Remember when Jesus died on Good Friday, and when He died, the curtain in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom of the Holy of Holies was exposed, where only the high priest could go in once a year. It ended all of this sacrificial offering of lambs and of goats. It was done. And remember that, therefore, when in the year 70, when Titus destroyed the temple of Jerusalem, that ended temple worship. The Jew has never had a temple to this day. He's got his nation, and even though he has taken the rest of Jerusalem that temple is now a mosque it's a Mohammedan mosque the Jew can't have it he's getting ready to celebrate Yom Kippur the day of atonement and on the day of atonement there was always sacrifice the Jew hasn't been able to sacrifice why because he he doesn't know who is a descendant of Aaron no Jew can ever say he's from the tribe of Levi he doesn't know in the persecutions that have come he doesn't know what tribe he's from no Jew can ever verify by record that he is a son of Aaron and that he could be high priest. The very fact that all temple, that the Jew hasn't had a temple since the year 70. It's done. It's abrogated. Let no man judge you. You're free. The Sabbath day is gone. But the New Testament does say, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What has happened in the Christian church? Christ arose on the first day of the week, Sunday. He appeared to the disciples on Sunday night behind locked doors. The following Sunday night he appeared. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the first day. So what happened? When the Christian church became predominantly Gentile, Gentiles had no knowledge of a Sabbath or of a rest day or of a Saturday or of offering of lambs and bulls and goats. So there came a transition that Sunday was called the Lord's Day. This was the Lord's Day. Every Sunday, a resurrection anniversary. The risen Lord. And therefore, this Christ who stood in that wheat field and said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, wants you and me to know that he is the Lord of the New Testament Sunday, where we have the privilege of assembling ourselves in God's house and having the living Christ tell you and me, here is forgiveness, here is life, here is salvation right now in exchange for faith. You need me a greater. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done or what I've done, right now, any one of us, I don't care how dirty and stinking we've been in life and our sins, if we turn to him right now, this Lord of the Sabbath, who again is the living Christ, and say, I'm sorry for my sins, and I ask you to forgive me, there is forgiveness right now. You and I become joint heirs with Christ of eternal life and have the assurance that the living Christ will come and he will take us to heaven. There is no greater joy than that. And therefore, we ought to say, he's the Christ I'm going to hold on to, and I'm going to keep. And when we determine to do that, then Sunday ought to be a tremendous day, a joy to come in and have the living Christ speak to us through his word. This is the thing that he wants. We don't forsake ourselves in getting together. Let Sunday be a little bit of heaven on earth. Let us decide how we shall spend it spending Sunday and every day of the week living to his glory, showing mercy and kindness and goodwill to others, and above all, looking forward to that great peace and that great rest, which the word of God says, remaineth to the children of God. As we come into God's house, we say, this Lord of the Sabbath, he's abrogated, he annulled the Old Testament rest day, but he is the Lord, the living Lord of the church. And I had the privilege of worshiping him. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You and I live it to his glory, to honor, to magnify him. Above all, a little bit of heaven on earth. And we say, here is where he points me to the fact that there remaineth therefore a rest for the children of God. You know, when I was in The Holy Land, I stood on Mount Pisgah's lofty height. I stood on Nebo, another name for it. And if you recall that incident, that's where Moses stood with God one day. Moses, 120 years old. And God again brought him right to Mount Pisgah. And he was ready to relinquish his command. A younger man, Joshua, was going to go across the Jordan. Here he was with God standing there at Mount Pisgah. there's something happens to you when you stand there. You feel like taking off your shoes because you're on holy ground. It was that place. Moses knew that he would not lead the children of Israel over the Jordan. He was weary. He had led them for 40 years in the wilderness. God knew that he was weary. And God said, Moses, look at the land flowing with milk and honey. When I stood there, here was the mighty Jordan. Mighty not because of its size, but mighty because of the great part it plays in God's history. And I stood there and I thought, this is where Moses stood. Looked across the Jordan to the west of the Mediterranean. And looking to the north and looking to the south, I, I thought for a moment I was Moses. And the tears came. And I thought, what, what a place to stand. Moses looking at the land flowing with milk and honey. And God saying, Moses, you're weary. Moses, you're tired. I've got something better than this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you through death to that rest which remaineth for the children of God. And God buried Moses there. I don't know what's going to come when we have enemies outside of our nation and bitter enemies within it men who would destroy it yet today and men who would kill and slaughter, I don't know. But I do know this, that you and I, with the Lord of the rest, who is the Lord of the New Testament, Resurrection Day, you and I can come in and we can say, but Lord, there remaineth a rest to the people of God. We say, how many of us get pretty weary? I've had 39 years in the ministry. I wouldn't take a million for the 39 years that I've had but I'm very thankful that I'm at the ending end not at the beginning end it's getting to the ending end oh there's so much to look forward to you see you get weary and yet this living Christ says there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God oh you can look forward to something oh to be near the the ending in. End. That's tremendous because up there in the fields right outside of Capernaum, your Lord and mine stood one day and said, I am the Lord of the rest day who assures you and me, there, there's still a rest coming. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. It's not inactivity, but it's going to be a rest from weariness and being tired and weariness of loneliness and weariness of grief and heartache and pain. There remaineth therefore a rest. Oh, listen, having that kind of a Lord, we ought to walk it on tiptoe and say, it's not going to be too long. There's a rest and we could sing on the glory road. Oh, as we look at this land with milk and honey, Jerusalem, the golden with milk and honey, bless. Beneath thy contemplation sink heart and voice oppressed. I know not, oh I know not, what joys await us there, what radiancy of glory, what bliss beyond compare. They stand those halls of Zion, all jubilant with song and bright with many an angel, and all the marcher throng. The Prince is ever in them. The daylight is serene. The pastures of the blessed are decked with glorious sheen. Oh, there remaineth therefore a rest. Let's walk it on tiptoe, even though it be dark, because the stranger of Galilee stood in a grain field and one day uttered a tremendous statement. The son of man is Lord, even of the rest day. Tremendous, worth knowing, worth having, and thank God, worth keeping. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.